0: fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with fishing booker you can experience it too no matter where you are discover your next adventure on fishing booker
1: welcome to the part-time outdoors podcast hosted by matt Noss and nate wright welcome to another episode of part-time outdoors today we have on a really special guest and we also have on josh walters as the co-host it was kind of a, a last minute uh kind of deal here and and nate had to work so josh was willing to come on and and help me out with the interview and josh i'll go ahead and let you introduce our special guest since you're his super fan
2: <laughs> yeah yeah today we have on uh chef jean-paul bourgeois from uh some of you might know him from Duck Camp Dinners on YouTube, um, but uh, JP, great to have you on.
3: Man, I I really do appreciate it, guys. Um, it's been um, fun to kind of follow along a little bit and get to, you know, I'm glad I'm glad some folks pointed out your podcast and uh, we were able to connect and hop on, and so I'm just excited to better be on the horn with y'all today.
1: I will say your response times were in, were insane. So jo- Josh sent me your, your story, and his story was like, hey, I'm, I'm re- I'll be on anybody's podcast pretty much. Uh, just hit me up, and w- we emailed him. And I'm talking like, I mean, it was like two minutes later. I was like, he's probably not going to email me back. I mean, yeah, I was it's like... <laughs>
3: You did turn. You're the one who turned it around, man. And, uh, I know we were scheduled for a little bit earlier and I had to move some things around cause I'm a new dad and all that. And I hear you're about to be a new dad and all that. Well, I don't know about a new dad, but oh, uh, no, I'm a brand new dad, <laughs> brand new dad. I've, I've been there, man, not but six months ago. So, um, I thank you for understanding, but yeah, look, I I'm a mover and a shaker, man. I don't, um, you know, it's not easy for somebody that somebody like me to always kind of be waiting and waiting on others and waiting on others. I find myself doing that a lot, but, um, you know, it it was one of those things, uh, duck camp dinners season two drops August 12th on the meat eater YouTube channel. And, um, as, as y'all said, there's, there's a season one out there right now that you can currently watch, but I'm telling you season two is going to blow it out. The water as good as, as good as season one was, I'm super like just thrilled to see how season two is coming along. I'm really excited to share it to the world. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to hop on this call, man, or hop on this podcast, is just to, you know, let people know that there's some there's some content getting on YouTube right now that's be put on that's that my colleagues at Meat Eater have been doing for a long time. And with the with the addition of this second season of Duck Hand Dinners, I think I think it really breaks the mold. Of what a hunting show could be, or a cooking show could be, or life, or like a really authentic lifestyle show can be, it's a little bit of all that, right? It's not purely a hunting show, or purely a cooking show. It's got a nice little mix of both, and I've been really happy to see how Louisiana has been represented in it.
1: Yeah, that, I mean, just from watching season one, uh, just the way even season one was put in, put together, you guys' first season, just like the videography and the way it was kind of put together. And I liked how the episodes, I mean, there. I don't know how the season two will be, but I mean, you could, you could sit down if you had a little bit of time, say uh, like you had some steak in the oven or something, sit down, watch <laughs> an episode, steak comes out, you're ready to go. And the best part about it on YouTube is it's free. Like anyone can watch it.
3: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I forget about that with like YouTube and how, you know, all the different subscription services that are out there. Um, you know, you, you think, you think you're getting away with one by not getting cable, but you got 45 services that cost you $300, a $300 a month. But the the amount of good content from all type of creators on YouTube is just incredible. Um, and how, and how they're able to produce that and, and YouTube still be a business. I don't know how that works. That's for smarter people. Um, but I'm just happy to be a part of being that circle. And I can't, I really, you know, other than going on something like a Netflix or some type of the big subscription services, like the media or YouTube channel is the place for this show. I mean, it's got a hundred plus, 100, excuse me, a million plus uh, YouTube subscribers. And, um, you know, it, it really focuses not only on the outdoors, but all the things surrounding it, whether that's conservation or the food that comes from it. And so, you know, it really fits perfect in that sense. And, um, you know, again, it's just, one of those things that, you know, season one I created as a like a passion project, actually, it was kind of like selfish in a way because I created it to memorialize this place that I love so much. And after Ida, you know, we, we did season one before Ida, but Ida proved to me that that was the right move because at any time in Louisiana, that little duck camp can be swept away by by a hurricane, right, in any season. Now, it survived Ida. I don't know how it survived Ida, but it did, and I'm very happy about that. But that was the point. It was like, I knew with the way we have land loss in Louisiana, and the way the hurricanes are seem to constantly be getting more frequent and stronger, I used this season. I used season one to memorialize it, so I always had it. No matter what happened to it, no matter what happened to me, I always had it. Once we produced it and put it out in the world, we saw saw such an incredible response to season one that it was, oh, gosh, like we're on to something here. We have to do a season two. Now, season two, we kept it in Louisiana, but we go to multiple different duck camps in multiple different parts of the state uh, for season two. And it's going to go for seven or eight episodes and they're all going to be 22 minutes, uh, you know, that 20 to 22 minute mark. And so we were really just able to dive in really deep to the hunting, to the food, to the characters, to the music, to the geographical place, to the conservation efforts in all these places. And as a native Louisiana, those are all things that are like extremely like important to me. And, um, you know, as a Louisiana, I'm always trying to figure out a way that I can give back to my state, and I think part of the way <clears throat> I'm able to do that is by shining a light on it, whether that's the good stuff or the bad stuff. I, you know, you can't have. Unfortunately, I don't think in this world you can have you can have one without the other, and um, and that and that goes that rings true for Louisiana as well. So.
1: Yeah, I definitely get that. You guys definitely incorporated a lot of culture into that season one, which I can really appreciate because, you know, we we really don't see that side, at least where I'm from. We really don't see that type of culture that much. And as far as, like, you were talking about the prices and stuff going, I'm I'm the average guy that, you know, my last bill was $300 for – when I had cable and internet and you know what, I haven't had cable for almost five years now. So I am the, I'm just like the guy you're talking about. You know, I get on YouTube, I look for that kind of stuff. And you know, when I find stuff like that, you know, I'm all in.
3: And I appreciate you tuning in and giving me that view and that like or whatever. And look, like that's extremely important to be honest with you. That's, what's going to determine how long and how far we can take this show. And that's, you know, that's the name of the game with YouTube. It's all about metrics and, um, and it's about those views and those likes. And, you know, obviously like you have to make money somehow, like this is a business and you make that through advertising on shows and how much does that generate? That's just the nuts and bolts of, of the business. And nobody should be scared to talk about that. That's just the truth. And so I say that with all, um, with all truthfulness, thank you for that thank you for that view and uh and everybody else that's listening right now like thank you for being supportive and whether you whether you gave it a thumbs up or put a comment you viewed it like just being a part of that circle and part of that kind of exposure is extremely helpful for like content creators like myself who depend on that to say like okay is this something that's resonating with people that wants to move forward that wants to grow that wants to evolve. Um, what do we learn from people's comments? I read every comment that's on every video, you know, and a lot of times I respond to them and you can see that in the comment section, uh, through every video season one, because I believe it's important. Like it's important that we know who we're making this for. I think like one of the things I always say as a chef and as I've mentored dozens and dozens and dozen young chefs is you got to know who you're cooking for. You know, and if you're in small town this and you're trying to do like this weird kind of like, you know, now I shouldn't say weird, but very like progressive kind of new kind of food. It may not like it may not resonate with those folks. And that could be the kiss of death for your business. You got to know who you're cooking for. And in the same sense, for like duck camp dinners, we thought about this intensely and we wanted to make this show for every blue collar nitty gritty little duck camp or hunting camp or fishing <laughs> camp not just in louisiana but throughout the whole country and i think that's why people gravitated to it because even though if you don't have a floating duck camp even if you don't shoot ducks or hunt ducks you you see your a little bit of yourself and your friends and my in my friends and myself and in our camp like we all have if you're a hunter or a fisherman you likely have a place like that, that you go to or have gone to In your past, and I hear that all the time. This reminds me of deer camp in Kansas with my family. This reminds me of pheasant camp in the Dakotas that I'd go to with all my boys every year. Muleys, red fishing—it doesn't. And I think that's just people seeing themselves in that show, and that's the people we want to make it for—not for the experienced hunter, not for the person that knows it all. We want to we want to create it for the outdoorsmen that have fun with people at camp and then go hunting and cook and listen to music. And, um, you know, kind of I've said, I've said this a lot to some colleagues and some uh, friends before it's like somewhere along the way, like our hunting content has, it's like not fun anymore, you know? And if I'm going to go back when I was nine years old, 10 years old, 11, 12 years old, like first duck hunting with my dad, that was fun. And every time I'm back at the camp, I feel like I'm that age again and I'm having fun again. And we really wanted that to feel fun on the show. We were that's the authentic kind of look at that duck camp. And I think I, I really think more people gravitate towards that than just this like very strict technical kind of hunting show where you know the climax is always gonna be the kill. Right, And no matter what hunting show you're in, the climax is the, vol- the next volley of ducks or that 12-point that you've been seeing on trail cams, X, Y, Z. Doesn't matter. That's, that's typically the, the concept for all hunting shows. And um, we just didn't see it that way. And We thought there was a better way. And I really think that Duck Camp Dinners, both season one and definitely season two, is going to capture the fun of hunting again
1: we're we're definitely excited for that cuz i mean i mean you nailed it on the head just the, the fun of hunting, the camaraderie. And, and as far as, you know, you're talking about the prices and being free and all that, That I follow stocks pretty closely. And uh, with our economy the way it is, um, Netflix had just released its earnings and everything. It was probably only a, a week ago or so. And I think they lost almost like a million subscribers, you know, with their prices shooting up and stuff. So, And with the hard times we're having right now, I mean, it literally costs you
3: nothing to watch. So, I mean, you you can't beat it. That's a really great point and something that probably we should be talking about more uh, just from like having access to some of those shows. So thank you for flagging that. That's actually super insightful. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah, it's interesting, uh, John Paul, after I watched the uh, the first season, I kind of started to explore your page a little bit more. And and funny, funny side note, I've been working on my biscuit recipe probably <laughs> for like four years and I came across yours and the secret uh, was to grate the frozen butter. And let me tell you, the layers in those things, unbelievable.
3: Thank you. Uh, yeah, look, I'm, I, I think I got your beat on perfecting a biscuit recipe. I literally, <laughs> I, think so. I think I make them. No, I mean that because I think I make them different every time because I always feel like, well, these are good, but you know, like, I think I could get them a little bit closer to this and a little bit more of that. You know, and in my brain, I have this like this glorious biscuit sitting on top of this hill with like this just halo effect resonating from the outside, from the inside out, you know, just glowing everything around it. And that and, you know, and obviously I'm being a little dramatic there, but I I, I picture not only in my head, but in my mouth and my taste buds, like what that biscuit tastes like. What's the salt content in it? Like how salty is that the top, you know, uh, on it? Like, am I using salted butter on the brush of the top? How many layers is it fluffy? What's the size? It, should I my, I adjust my time and temperatures? And i and I'm be honest with you. I feel like I'm getting pretty close to it. The last time I made biscuits, my wife was like, ah, I think this might be your best batch. I think you've nailed it. And so I'm going to give it a couple more goes, and then I'm going to recublish a recipe with what I've learned, literally, I mean, all my life making biscuits, and i have just chasing, just chasing this drug of the perfect biscuit. I'm not <laughs> sure, you know, maybe I'll get there. Maybe this is the next batch. You, know? you,
1: you can tell just by the way you talk about even biscuits, like how passionate of a person you are, and that. that but that's good, like. So you find something that you love, and like the old saying goes, you never work a day in your life. But like the passion is there for sure. And I thought Josh was being facetious about um the biscuit, your biscuit recipe, and then he showed me a picture right before, right, right when I got here, and I was like, it almost looked like an onion. It had so many layers on. It. I was, I was impressed. He's like, yeah, shaved butter, it's the real <laughs> deal. Yeah, yeah, that, sure.
3: yeah. that, you know. And look, I didn't, you know, that was a, and that's the beautiful thing about cooking right which is again like the three pillars of duck camp dinners that we talk about is the hunting side of it the cooking side of it and then the cultural kind of like at the camp side of it and i was shown that trick when i asked one of my favorite chefs who was a hell of a baker i said what's your trick to making a good biscuit she told me a couple things she said keep everything as cold as possible. Like she kept her, her flour in the freezer. She kept her butter in the freezer and she kept her, her buttermilk in the coldest part of her fridge. Hmm. And her thing was like, when you put it together, make sure everything is cold as possible and keep it as cold as possible. And the other trick she said was grade the frozen butter. And, um, and it stuck with me ever since and all I did was just take that really golden nugget of 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 information and try to pass it on to others man and that's like people who don't share recipes are kind of jerks if you ask, if you in my opinion like food like food is shared at the dinner table food is also shared from a historical hand me down reference and that comes in the form of recipes um if I don't give out a recipe to someone, it's because I never wrote it down to the point where I'm like, "This is it." Like I don't write a recipe down until I'm until I'm like, "Okay, that's in my opinion the best I'm ever going to get." I'm going to write that down. Maybe I evolve it from there, but that's that's got to be the benchmark from there on. And uh, but really, like food at the dinner table, recipes are meant to be shared. And so I've been always grateful. Uh, to Kelly Fields uh, for sharing that that kind of nugget of information with me. And I'm happy that you and everybody else listening might get might get a better biscuit recipe out of it.
2: Yeah, no, I, I definitely appreciate it. Because like I said, I was, yeah, like you, chasing the, the perfect recipe. And sometimes I still am, you know, ah, maybe the last batch was better, but the next one could be good, uh, even better. But speaking of recipes, what's some other recipes we can expect to see on Duck Camp dinners? I know some of our... I mean, even me personally, maybe some of our listeners too, thinking about, you know, cooking duck. I know they have the diver ducks, the the pond, you know, um, ducks that, you know, don't eat those those fish. And I've, I think it was two or three years ago, I ate a, uh, oh, a Ganser, and I just tried to grill it real quick, and obviously that was not not the right right thing to do. So what's what's some of the recipes that we can expect to see on the upcoming season, and, and what's some good pointers?
3: Yeah, well, there's definitely some really good, like, tried and true cajun recipes that um that i think a lot of people are going to really like to see that you know they that's not just like a typical gumbo or jambalaya or crawfish boil some of those other gravies and stews that cajuns are responsible for so we make a sauce pecan there i'm going to make a speckle belly goose boudin on one of the episodes that Mm. uh you know for those not familiar with boudin it's kind of the darling of cajun food at this at this point in time um It's being cooked everywhere in the South, including here where I live in Texas right now. You see a lot of barbecue places making boudin. So I make it with speckle Belly Goose. Um, I mean, we we cook two or three times on each episode, but we cook more than that at the camp. It's just you can't fit it all into one episode. Um, Let's see what that's, you know, definitely. That sauce pecan is going to be one that I think people really like. I think the boudin is going to be one of those things that people really like. There's a couple, like, really cool family recipes, one that my dad handed down to me that I share on the final episode, and another one that another camp shares with me from his grandma. And that's the other thing, like, you know, in in South Louisiana, yeah, in South Louisiana, I'm, you know, I'm in the trained I'm the classically trained cook or chef out of my group, but all my friends are held a hell of a cooks and all the camps we go to have their own like duck camp dinner cooks. Right. Like everybody has the guy who's always, you know, at the at the kitchen, make, you know, in charge of getting the groceries and what they're going to eat while they're at camp. Right. We can all agree with that. Um and so I wanted to share like shed a light on those folks too because they have their different traditions. They have their different family recipes. And so we we share three different family recipes as well um, that that aren't from me. And there's there's also other people that cook on the show that aren't me. Because like I said, in Louisiana, part of the culture is that, man, a lot of us know how to cook really well. You don't need to be a trained chef to know how to be a good cook, period. Louisiana is the perfect kind of proof of that, but um, I think that's what also what kind of designates season two is a lot different from season one. Is that yes, I'm the authority and the host on the show, but in no way am I the only cook. Uh, just just the opposite. I think there's a lot of people that go in uh, to these to these episodes that say that got their hands in the pot, literally and figuratively.
1: My favorite part is like. You're like a well-known, famous chef, but you're you're not you're still not like stuck up so much or at all, really. But that you you pass a little Debbie section on uh, season one, you're like, yeah, we need to grab some of these. <laughs> I was laughing when I saw that.
3: I told you, man. Like this show is for for the people. You know what I mean? Not for the elitist chefs who would never eat a little Debbie. Yeah,
1: that's or right. for
3: the elitist hunters that say, no, this is the way you need to set out decoys. Um, You know, like, who am I to say if you like Little Debbie's or Hostess Cakes better? Like, (laughs) Little Little Debbie's are my jam. Maybe Hostess yours. That's okay. And, and, but that also, like, like, we buy Little Debbie Cakes for the camp. So if we're going to make an authentic show about duck hunting where we duck hunt, then show that. You don't need to spend minutes on it, but acknowledge the realism of, of what we're doing, you know, at that duck camp, we have no refrigeration. Everything goes on ice on in coolers. So, you know, a lot of the things we buy are shelf stable, like, you know, the Lance peanut butter and Mm -hmm. cheese crackers that you get in the pack that are great for your duck blonde bag, the little Debbie cakes, canned goods, those type of things, because that's you, that's logically what you buy for a, Camp that doesn't have a way to preserve things, right? Aside from coolers full of ice, and inevitably, you know the deal. Those coolers are mo- many times reserved for beers and dead <laughs> duck. So, like,
1: <laughs> well, we have t- we have two requests from you for part-time outdoors. Um, one would be from Josh's wife. I I promised her I would mention it, um, to you. She wants your biscuit recipe, but gluten-free cause she's, she's gluten-free. So if you could work on that and then the, the second request that we would have is on duck camp dinner season three, if you could somehow come up with some type of, um, recipe or concoction of little Debbie, like somehow you mix that together and make something special, I had a little, little Debbie cakes or whatever, that would be a uh, request number two.
3: Uh, I will work on that um, for sure. <laughs> Let me ask about Josh's wife. So um, gluten-free, does that mean she can't have, um, oh, man, what's the einhorn, einhorn flour? Mm. Einhorn flour?
2: No, no, I think so. As long as it's corn flour, that should be fine.
3: No, einkorn is, is from, so I have my, my sister-in-law is gluten-free, like gluten-free to the fact that like, like really emergency if, if it happens, right? Like celiac, I guess. Yeah. I I think it's like not quite celiac. I don't know. (laughs) I, I just, when I make biscuits, I make it with einkorn flour for her because for some reason that has a different like gluten structure that doesn't affect her. And I think that many people who suffer from that are able to eat einkorn flour. It's um, And that makes actually a really great biscuit. But I'll get to work on that. But if she has some more insights on that, might help me narrow down how to get to that point. To your second fact, I think we can make some Little, little Debbie-based recipe work. I mean, <laughs> if, that, if that helps me get that deal with them, if you're listening, Little debbie my the offer still on the table. Oh my you know? gosh! I mean, if
1: you got sponsored I'm, by I'm, Little Debbie, your your yeah, I'm like views would go out little the Debbie roof. And bad. A
3: not so little man, <laughs> loving Little Debbie. Big so.
1: Debbie. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: So I mean, I uh Jean Paul, I tried to make not, not to harp on the biscuit recipe, but I mean, it's like one of my top three favorite foods. But I tried it with gluten free flour, and it was just not. It was not the same. So I just kind of gave up from that one and done. But I'll have to go back and, and check out that type of flower you're talking about.
3: Yeah, I would. Um, yeah, check out einkorn flour. Um, read up a little bit about it. There's science to it when it when in terms of how it affects folks with those um, allergens. Additionally, there's some really great flowers, and I can't think of the brands right off the bat right now. I think Caputo might be one of them. C A P U T O or some type of version of that spelling. Um, but they, they make a really, it's an, I'm pretty sure it's an Italian brand, but they, and I may, and maybe I'm thinking of something else, but the fact is there is some really great pizza and pasta quote unquote flowers that are gluten free now that are kind of like fully baked. Like they're all formulated to make great pasta, um, and great pizza dough. You know, because really it's a mixture of like almond and different types of flowers, not just like one. It's a mixture of different ones. And there's brands that have put in a lot of effort doing that. So I would give that a look too. like maybe search out really nice. And you kind of you really do pay for you get what you pay for here. So. Research a little bit, like, some nicer brands of pizza, gluten-free pizza flour and gluten-free pasta flour, and that might be a good place to start with making biscuits from that.
2: Okay.
1: I like it. Is that on corn flour? Is that something you can just go to, like, your local uh, grocery store and buy, or is that, like, something you'd have to order?
3: Yeah, you might – you need to – you would probably want to go – need to go to a Whole Foods, a a Nature's Grocery or or Amazon. Amazon definitely carries it because – or amazon um but um yeah i would say like health food stores would have einkorn flour like my local grocery here in texas probably not um <clears throat> but you know with the amazon man you got prime it's there the day after so
2: that's the world we're living in now i love it
3: that's it that's it
2: hey what about uh tell us a little bit about the camp itself uh, how did how did you come out how did you come to that was it passed down is it leased uh just kind of curious on, on yeah. Role. So
3: my best friend, his name's Jay Sheck Snyder. He's in uh, season one, good bit. He's, you know, he's kind of the one. Every and once you watch, he'd be like, "Oh yeah, that's Jay."
2: Oh yeah, he, um, he has subtitles sometimes when he's talking. I love it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's <Most> great. <laughs> oh, that's him. Um, <laughs> I was actually hanging out with him at Delta Waterfowl Expo and. You know, once it gets later at night, we all start talking a little different. Mm-hmm. And um, he said something at one time, and everybody stopped and got silent. And I was like, "Dude, you're gonna need to repeat that. Not even I can understand you." <laughs> <laughs> you know that that's actually his camp. That um, he got. You know, it it's it's seen different versions of itself over the course of six years. It's now three different kind of floating platforms that have you know been connected. But it started with one, and over the years, we've added the second and the third. And it's now known as Hoboville. Um, He once called it the Hobo Hilton, but now that it's more than one thing, it's Hoboville. Um, And so, you know, he found that somewhere in West Louisiana, and they paid a shrimp boat captain $5,000 to make a two-day trip going about two, three miles an hour uh, through through the through the coastal channels of Louisiana to get it to where it was. Um it um it's you know all Cypress on the inside. It's all floating. It has a marine septic tank, uh has a has a catch basin, you know, for rainwater, has a little on demand hot water heater so you can get hot showers. And then we run it on a generator, on a gas generator. So um you know that's that's the camp, but man, like I tell you, there's not a person out of our friends, or even if you've never been there, that when you go to that camp, like you're gonna make memories. Like they're just it doesn't matter what the hunting's like, doesn't matter what the weather's like, doesn't matter if it's frogging season or duck season or somewhere in between. It's one of those places that just demands the memory, and um, it demands that when you're there, you're all in in it. Like I get terrible cell phone service there, so you don't. You know, staying off your phone is easier, and you're with some like, let's see, there's four and run one room. There's five in the other, and there's so that's nine. Plus there's two sofas. That's eleven. You put eleven people in that little in that in that joint with everybody with a bed. And when you get eleven people, you know, whether it's four or eleven or whatever, if you get that many people, and you know, you're gonna be close. You're gonna be. You're going to be with your some of your close friends if, if you, you're spending that type of time in a space with that many people. And, you know, those people demand your attention. And the time, the camp demands it. And so, like, the memories that you make there, which, again, going back to my point about memorializing it, you know, always having a memory of it, uh, no matter what happened to it, um, was something that was really important to me and to why we made season one. So... Um, Everybody feels that when they go to that camp, it's just a really special place, even though there's like nothing inherently that special about it. But I think that speaks to the people that go to it, which is why it makes it a special place. It's the people you share it with, you know? And that's what I I see such like great parallels with duck hunting, especially, but all oh, hunting, but duck hunting, especially, and, and food at the dinner table, you know? and. Um, at the dinner table, we eat with people, we cook with people. we're usually with friends and family. We're sharing that meal. Well, in the duck blind, how many times you duck hunted by yourself? Probably none. You usually do it with at least two people, a lot of times five. shoot, I've hunted with eighteen in an a frame. and there's no other there's no other hunting like that. You know, there's not you don't sit in a a tree stand by yourself. You don't sit against a tree during turkey, you know, like in turkey season. You're in a community, whether that's that duck blind or whether that, that's camp. And that's why I see, like, just those parallels with food because you share it with people. And that's what I think is so cool about duck hunting is that I'm in that blind with you. And, you know, we're drinking coffee. We're cutting up. There's people smoking cigs or eating MREs. And, you know, and then we're shooting ducks and having fun and eating breakfast at 9 a.m. after we're all done. And there's just no other hunting that can do that. I haven't run into it yet. So,
1: it sounds like a magical place. The only time, probably the only day I wouldn't want to be there, is August twelfth, twenty twenty two, when season two of uh, <laughs> Duck Camp Dinners nice. comes out. I'm gonna oh, need nice. nice little plug for you. I'm gonna need some more self in service so watch that. Nice. But, uh, <laughs> any yeah. other day, though, you 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 let me know.
3: <laughs> Word up, yeah, definitely. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, look, I will not be there on August twelfth either. I'll be throwing. A, um, I'll be throwing a viewing party in my hometown at Roxas Bar on August 12th in Thibodeau, Louisiana. And if any of y'all from Thibodeau, Homer are driving distance from that, everybody is invited to come on the evening of August 12th and have that viewing party. It'll be out by that time, so people would have seen it. So this won't be the first time. But to just celebrate all the hard work that goes into making a show like this, I just wanted to bring it back to my hometown, invite the whole town, anybody <laughs> and everybody that want to come from louisiana crack a beer with me and watch episode one of duck camp dinner season two. Oh,
1: oh that is gonna be so cool that, that's really awesome the uh i mean that's just like almost i mean i guess it is kind of like one of the movie premieres when they do that so i'm sure that's gonna be a blast i'm telling
3: you man like whether we season three will likely be outside of louisiana And if we go to Texas, the Chesapeake Bay, or the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, or somewhere along the Mississippi Flyway, we're going to represent those people just like we represented Louisianians. And that's why I say, like, this show is for the people. This show is for people that are just like me, that grew up just like me, whether it was on the bayou or somewhere in the Illinois River Valley or somewhere in the Pacific Northwest or somewhere on coastal Maine. There's people just like me and just like us all around this country, and their stories have yet to be told. The stories of their camps and their food and their culture have yet to be told. And I'm on a mission, man. I'm on a mission to tell them. And no matter where I go, I want to be able to represent those people well. That's why like in in season two, we only use Louisiana musicians for the music. And part of the reason why is because I didn't just want this show to feel like Louisiana. I didn't want it to taste like Louisiana. I didn't want it to just look like Louisiana. I wanted it to hear, to sound like Louisiana, too. And, um, you know, I just think I just think it's important, man, because um, if you love hunting in general, we have lost our way in a lot of ways. Now, we shoot a lot of ducks on Duck Camp Dinner Season 2. But you're not going to see rainouts every every two minutes of birds just dropping in the water. You're not going to see, like, piles of ducks piled up and us just giving thumbs up. It's much bigger than that. And hunting is much bigger than that. No matter what your pursuit is, it's much bigger than that. And I think that's what we want to get back to, you know, why we hunt. Um, you know, like, how many, how, many, how many mounts do you get a year, no matter what that pursuit is? Um, it, we, most of us hunt to fill our freezer with meat so we can sustain our family. And to your point about the cost of goods and the cost of prices, you know, where, you know, where I'm headed with this That's right. Beef and pork and so on. It's even more important now that we look at hunting as a food source and not just entertainment. And, um, again, man, that's what it's all about. That's what it's about for me. And I, and I really think there's more people that resonate with that than there is like let me see that fifteen point Kansas buck, like that's all cool <laughs> and stuff. But you know that's been done, and honestly, that deer probably doesn't taste that good anyway that's if right. it's fed off the of feeders. You know, like. So I don't know. I, I'm, you know, I'm kind of on my soapbox, but I guess that's the point, right? That's I'm right. trying to get. I love it.
1: I'll say the most expensive meat that I've had, um, I, I'm a hundred percent with you on, you know, going out and getting your meat, especially like deer meat, duck meat, all that stuff. But the most expensive meat I've had is probably rough grouse just because I've dumped so much money and there's just not many left.
3: Yeah. And well, you know, why is that? You think, why is it a habitat thing? There are not just many left.
1: Um, I think it's a mixture of everything, but one of the, one of the big issues was the West Nile virus, um it really Really? yeah it reeks because of their eggs well um pennsylvania actually did a study um i won't get too far into it but they they kind of did timelines of when the populations fell and what what was going on at the time and then they what they did was they went out and and got a lot of grouse eggs out of the state of pennsylvania shipped them off to idaho to a a hatchery incubator hatched them and sent them to colorado and in colorado they injected them with west nile virus and like almost all of them died pretty quickly and when they did like autopsies they they could just see how the west nile was affecting them but i think they're starting to uh find some with like antibodies to it so um, there's <laughs> yeah they're starting to see a a bounce back a little bit in the population but uh it's it's a mixture of everything and then as far as like when you're targeting them there's like certain altitudes that the west nile virus isn't really in so you can kind of tell by that as well like they're surviving better there um but yeah i mean they're they're nothing like when you guys go out and you just hammer ducks all day it's it's nothing like that but it's the same thing it's the exact same thing you're talking about you go out with your friends even if you don't see a grass the whole day you're out climbing mountains with your friends joking around having a good time and you're watching your dogs work which is the main reason i do it like the, it's just the feeling that you get when you're out in the, in the outdoors and when you're with your friends and you just can't get that in like a pill you know yeah. there's a lot of people yeah. that just go to that but um you know the outdoors is just a, a magical medicine in itself
3: i agree i agree with that and i couldn't i couldn't um like I'm, i i what's the what am i trying to say here i i totally feel what you're saying about not seeing anything you know and still having that time with your friends out out in nature i mean some of my best like hunting memories was when i first started hunting with a little ruger 22 with a simmons scope attached to it <laughs> and walking um walking the woods that made a perimeter around sugarcane fields where i was from in lavittville louisiana and walking those woods with my friends and hunting squirrels on calm days and that was the first thing that my parents let us go out and like hunt by ourselves without adult supervision. We were under 13 years old at the time. And, um, and I still like think about those days all the time. And then when I look into a still like a, a calm still woods somewhere in Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, all I can think is, man, I bet you, they got some fat squirrels in there. You know? <laughs> because that's where I want to go back to, man. Like those are the memories, you know? And, um, I say, when I say go back to, I mean, like, you like make new ones with your friends today, you know, you want to chase that same type of feeling. I mean, I just, I just love it, man. I'm sick for it. And, you know, I probably never will be like this big Western, uh, mule deer hunter or elk hunter or antelope. I feel like wing shooting, and small game or my thing like i love rabbit hunting i love squirrel hunting i love shooting anything with wings um but uh and and that's and that's kind of the pursuit there that i that i love to get involved in but i totally feel i would love to go grouse hunting i have no experience with that at all but i would totally get down with walking the with you, man
1: you let us know i don't know if you ever come to west virginia or through it or whatever but our season opens in october so you let us know we'll get you on some grouse
3: and see like i that's cool i think that's a cool like story i mean you know part of me thinks about like what if you did you would consider that appalachia right like yeah the appalachian
1: usually region. where we hunt it where the most of the grass are because of the elevation is like the appalachian mountains Yeah,
2: technically west virginia yeah. is the only state completely in the appalachian kind of region
3: so like part of me wonders like okay what is like what is a hunt a hunt camp dinners or a di- a show called just something different where <clears throat> you spent fall and winter in a place like the Appalachian mountains or that area. And then, you know, in October, you made a couple episodes on grouse hunting in the camp around that. And then, you know, if there was some duck hunting, like whether it's wood ducks or black ducks or some type of internal in, in that range, or you know, whether it's whitetail hunting and creating not, you know, so it's not so much a duck camp dinners, But it's like a look into this region's hunting culture as a whole, not just not just like purely waterfowl, purely this, purely that. But looking at the region through all kind of the different hunting and pursuits, I I think that could be something cool. You know,
1: that's Um, a great point because that. So around here, it's I actually live on a WMA or like adjacent to it, and actually Ducks Unlimited just put up a, uh, they just built a new. They already have like a watershed, but they just put in some more work where they built ponds, and uh, EQT helped sponsor it. Ducks Unlimited helped sponsor it. Um, It's absolutely beautiful. It's just we don't have as many of those as you guys have, so the hunting gets lots of pressure, and and it is hard on the ducks, but they're definitely starting to put more and more money into it. But the nice part about like where we live, and and to echo what you were saying is, um, and I did it multiple times last year, I would go out – I would get up, I would go duck hunting. After duck hunting was over, I go out I take I go get my other dogs. We go uh grouse hunting. And then if you had enough energy at the end of the day, you could go and get in the deer stand right before dark. So I mean, it 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 really is a whole different dynamic here than than what you guys have as far as far as that goes. It's just it's um the pot we're not in a flyaway zone or anything like that. So as far as like duck hunting goes and stuff, it, it is a little bit harder, but we we still have a decent amount of resident ducks.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's cool though, man. Cause like we talk about Louisiana being the sportsman's paradise, but I've kind of been on this idea over the last year, even though like Louisiana, we call ourselves the sportsman's paradise. And for good reason, there's just a lot to do there. But I kind of think we all have our own sportsman's paradise, no matter where we go. And that grouse camp that you have, or the mule camp in Idaho that someone might have, like maybe that's their sportsman's paradise. Maybe they don't need five, 10, 15, two different pursuits. Maybe that's all they need is that one pursuit in that one camp in that group of friends. And that's their paradise. That's a really you know? good point. I, th- I think about that a lot um, because, you know, Louisiana, it's, it's great. Like we can duck hunt in the morning and out the duck blind catch redfish. And then go, you know, we can do all kind of things. Go kill and, some nutra. Yeah, <laughs> we'll kill some nutra. But like, there's some people that aren't into waterfowl hunting and muleys are their pursuit and that's their passion. Well, that's their paradise, you know. So,
2: hey, what about so you're when you go to camp, you know, it's actually interesting. You know, you have a duck camp, I have a camp for grouse. Where, you know, Matt has his camp. So we all kind of have our little safe havens that we go to obviously the places is stocked. When you get down there, what's your two or three essentials that you're always bringing to camp, whether it be something that you're cooking with or you're hunting with?
3: Oh, man, that's a great that's a great question. Um, first of all, we always bring extra brush from the mainland um, because sometimes where we cut brush, it's like really hard to get to because the water's so wet. We can't get out the boats. I mean, the land's so wet and there's so much water, we can't get out the boats. So sometimes the brush that we want to cut is like you really literally can't walk on it or you'll see God knows how far. So extra brush, and I think that's for like any, I don't I know, that may may not be what you're looking for, but I would say extra brush when you're going waterfowl hunt, no matter where you're going, if you can cut some in the comforts of your own backyard or your own neighborhood or your own property, that's a good thing to do, and because you can never have too much brush, um, so we always like to do that. You know, I always, um, despite, um, despite not having refrigeration, I will always make time for butter in my in my cooler. I always make space for a pound or two of butter because honestly, like I'd rather use that for any fat, whether I'm making a roux um, or whether you know, obviously, if I'm making biscuits at the camp or you know anything else that's my fat of choice and really like you know fat for a number of reasons that i won't get into because it'd be too nerdy and take too much of this podcast (laughs) you know you need to have good fats in your cooking period um so butter is something that i'll always have in my cooler um vinegar man i know that's something like if the camp doesn't have at least two types of vinegar Uh, I'm going to bring it and I'm, you know, most like if it wasn't for me, they, that duck camp would never have that vinegar. Um, And the reason why I say that is because next to salt, um, acid, whether that comes from vinegar or lemon juice or something or lime juice, X, Y, Z, acid is the most important ingredient in your cooking. Um, And a little bit goes a long way. But, um, you know, salt is the most important ingredient. Salt allows us to taste everything because it opens up our, scientifically, it opens up our taste buds and allows us to taste sweet, salty, sour, and umami. Um, And then salt is the fifth thing our taste buds taste. But without salt, we wouldn't better taste any of those other things. And then acid. Acid is what gives, you know, when I'm cooking with things like butter, when they're rich or, or when they have like, you know, like a duck stew is very, um, it's very um, like hearty. A little red wine vinegar at the end of that duck stew will just brighten it up a little bit. And, you know, that's, any chef will tell you, any chef worth worth his salt, or he's lying to you, <laughs> um, will tell you that how important acid is into cooking, into well-balanced flavors. And so I like to have acid, on me at all times, whether that's in the form of red wine vinegar, rice wine vinegar, apple cider vinegar, distilled plain old jug distilled vinegar, lemon juice, lime juice, oranges, tomato paste will add acid to something, you know? So, uh, that's one of those things that just, a just a little bit kind of will level up your cooking, no matter if you're at the duck camp or not. And I used to talk, I talk a lot about it, like music. So like fat is your base and acid is your treble. Too much bass is just, like, gonna ring your, you know, like this, just rattle your eardrums out. Too much treble is gonna make your ears ring, and you're not gonna be able to join all the other things that's in the, in the music. But a good balance of the two gives you a nice, even flow, keeps that, keeps that you know, that, that foot stomping or the foot moving and kind of grooving and that's exactly what like acid and fat does in cooking and i know that that's like again like scientifically from a micro point of view um we can really talk about that a lot but i guess that would be my answer there
1: that i've never heard that before that's interesting um, you were talking about not having refrigeration, having to use your coolers. And I saw one of the tricks that you did with the, you know, putting frozen stuff in it and, and that helped keeping it cool. Have you tried, um, basically
3: pre-icing your coolers? Oh so- yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, that um, helps a lot. I do like to prime, prime my coolers, especially in those early season, um, Doug hunts where in Louisiana, like you're still in 70 degrees and. You know, you rather not make frequent you know, <clears throat> frequent trips to the boat launch for overpriced ice. It's really smart to prime your coolers before you put everything else in. I do the same with my coffee thermos with coffee in the morning. Um, you know, the first thing I do is make sure that I got some hot boiling water and I'm priming my, priming my coffee mug, uh, my thermos for when I put coffee in. And that helps me keep my coffee hot, you know, throughout the hunt. So big fan of that.
2: Love it. Yeah, I love the 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 pro tips, especially your uh, some of them you do on your Instagram are really helpful. Even the ones as simple as putting the uh, the wet paper towel underneath the uh, the cutting board. I just did that today, actually. I'm like, man, I I've, I don't know why I didn't think of this. So uh, yeah, I think that's good. Um, but man, we really appreciate you being on. Um, I think it would be helpful if you could tell the listeners. You know where can they, they they find out a little bit more about your work? Of course, we got Duck Camp Dinners Season Two coming out August twelfth. But if you know if you want to you know follow uh, Jean Paul, where where can we find your work
3: at? Yeah, so I put a lot of content out on my Instagram page, and that's Chef Jean underscore Paul. That's J- Chef J E A N underscore Paul. And I answer a lot of direct messages. And so if you got cooking questions about videos that I have, or just in general, I'm happy to help answer that. I don't always better give out recipes because, like I said, I, I really try to nail those down before I share. Um, but I'll give you what I can. I'll always share my insights when and if I can. So always hit me there at Jean underscore paul on Instagram. You can go to my, um, my website, which is my full name, no spaces, jeanpaulbourgeois.com, and um, you can find Duck uh, Camp Dinner Season 1 linked uh, to, to the media the YouTube channel there. Plus some other little things about me, some of the people that have supported me throughout the years, meaning brands and so on. Um, but that's it, man. I like really try to keep it to those two things. And, um, you know, maybe I'll start dropping some shorts into YouTube at some point. But uh, right now, man, you can always hit me there.
1: Well, we, we really do appreciate you coming on. If you do make it out to West Virginia, we'll, uh, we'll show you a little of our culture and show you the favorite snacks we like to take, like pepperoni rolls. Uh, it's kind of a West Virginia staple for, uh, for when we go hunting. And, uh, before, before we, uh, wrap up this episode, I'm just going to leave them with, uh, a couple of your, my favorite quotes that you say, uh, I got three of them here. And, uh, first one is get comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's just applicable, it's applicable to so many things. And, uh, number two, shoot straight and come hungry. And number three, eat like a southerner. So, there you go. We appreciate you coming on, and uh, we're looking forward to season two, and we'll be talking to you.
3: Man, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. That was fun. That was fun. Thank you. Hey, and good luck, new dad. Let me know if you need <laughs> any new dad advice.
1: <laughs> I'm sure I'll be. Uh, we're we're uh, planning a, another episode called uh, Bird Dogs and Babies, where we're going to kind of dive into how to introduce your your newborn to dogs and stuff like that. So I'll be sure to give you a tag uh, in it.
3: Hey, the last episode, a um, little teaser, last episode of Duck Camp Dinner Season 2 is called Heritage is a Hand-Me-Down and it's it's kind of like my it's my last hunt with the boys at the camp before my son is born not but 15 days after the filming it's a lot of and that's that's one of the hand-me-down recipes my dad gave to me that i share it's a lot of reflection on what hunting means to me as it grew up how i want to share that with my son and how the new generation of hunters are going to carry that torch way after we're all gone
1: gosh that's so cool that's that's a perfect wrap up right there
3: Oh. Yeah. all right guys i appreciate it thank y'all so much
1: thank you buddy we'll, we'll talk to you
3: yes sir see you all bye. right
1: thanks. bye